We are starting a new series. Last week, we began a brand new sermon series that we're calling Backstage Christmas. And um, again, this was a, a later idea. We had a different plan for Christmas. And then as we had the chance to host our high school thespian society here, we decided let's go ahead and pivot our Christmas series. And we put this one together instead called Backstage Christmas to fit the theme. And we said at the beginning here, in fact, we told you last week that way before the show starts and the curtain opens, there's a lot of work going on beforehand to set the stage. And by the time people see the production, they don't know all the time that went into getting that moment ready. And so in, in saying that, we're talking about the story of Jesus the same way, that if Jesus is coming to earth is the greatest story ever told, right? The greatest story ever told. And if that's what we celebrate, then what we wanted to say is, Way before the curtain opened in Bethlehem and that manger scene, and a whole story began to unfold for the world to watch firsthand. Way beforehand, there was already, there was already um, a lot of setting the stage. We, we looked at that last week from the very beginning. With, uh, with, um, in the beginning of Genesis, you see the, the hand of the director. He said, God's the director of the play. He was already working before anyone saw anything happen. So we talked about that, and we made a statement last week similar to this. We said the director sees now what you can't see yet. By the time you see the show, a lot's been going on already. And the director sees now what you can't see yet. And that's true in any production you ever go to. And that's true in your life. Before you see what God's up to, he's already been up to something. We just finally catch up one day. And that should give us faith and hope. And by the way, I got the most encouraging email this week from somebody uh, just sent to me about uh, how God used that talk last week to just absolutely transformatively help them through something they're going through. And I thought to myself, what an encouraging thing. Thank you for any time you send an encouraging word. It's always good to know that God is using something that we do here as a church in your life. But the director sees now what you can't see yet. Now, I want to shift gears today, and we're going to talk more about this idea of the director and what he's doing before the sermon's over. But I want to shift gears for a little while, and let me kind of prepare where we're going to go by talking about the play. Whenever you watch a play, who is everyone paying attention to? You're paying attention to the cast. They're the ones on stage. Where what show you go to, next week if you come to this show here, you'll see the cast. You'll see Ebenezer Scrooge and, and you know, Marley and um, uh, all the different people that are important, the Ghost of Christmas Past, and you'll see the cast in the, in, the, in the play. Or if you watch a professional play on Broadway or a musical like Wicked or uh, like uh, Hamilton, which you can watch on Disney+, Plus, whatever you're watching, you're going to see um, the cast on stage doing their thing. And when you watch them do their thing, they're the ones that you say, oh, I love that person. They did a great job in that role. They get all the limelight. They get all the attention because they're the cast. There's major cast members. There's minor cast members, but they're all part of what happens on the stage. Now, those are the lead roles, but what you have to remember is that there are other people involved besides the cast. If you've ever attended one of Hanover Central High School plays, like I hope you will this week, and I've been to many of them through the years with my kids, what you'll, have, what you'll, you'll hear something happen every single play. And if you come this Friday or Saturday or Sunday, you'll hear it again. At the end of the play, there's a curtain call. And the cast comes out in small sections and does the last bow. And then they all get in one long row and they'll all bow together. They're their little, you know, what do you call that? Just a little stage bow as a ring claps. And then when the applause stops, one of the cast members will make a statement every single play, every single night, all the years I've been doing it. And their statement goes something like this. It's not just what happens on the stage, 
but what happens off stage that makes this possible. And then when they say that, they call out you know, all the, the, the different people who, in the crew who made it possible. They'll bring them all out, and they'll lie on the stage, and they'll introduce them by name. And everyone will clap for them, too, because no one was clapping for them because no one had them on stage before. No one saw them. So they'll call them out, they'll, they'll point them out, and they'll recognize them. And I love that part of the show. I love that part. Because it's the chaos, especially the ones who are in the spotlight, saying is not just what happens on the stage, but what happens off stage that makes this possible. And it's true. Because without the lighting, without the sound, without the props and the moving things around and all that takes place, there wouldn't be a show either. Without a cast, there wouldn't be a show. Every job is a big deal. In fact, do you know that there are a lot of kids who get into theater in high school level just to be in crew? They don't want to be in cast. Like if you said to them, hey, oh, you want to join theater? Good, you're going to be on stage. They'll be like, see ya, wouldn't want to be, uh, I don't want to be up there in front of everybody. They join because they want to be on the crew. In fact, some of them, and Steve, we talked about this before, some of them end up finding a career in their life that's technical and some of the skills they learn by being in the crew and the technical side. That's what they want to do. But, but no one sees that job like they see the ones who are on the stage. So it's not just what happens on the stage, but what happens off stage that makes it all possible. So when you're here this next week, by the way, this is not my sermon, but when you're here, make sure you notice the we want to honor the ones who do the work. It's a lot of work and stress to be in front of people and act. Honor the ones on, in the cast. But also notice the ones who are behind the scenes, right? Anyhow, with that in mind, we're going to talk about the crew today a little bit. Because in every story, there's people who weren't center stage. In the story of Jesus, the greatest story ever told, when the curtain opens up to that opening act on, in Bethlehem, around that manger, and the show begins, there are people who are important to the story that are never in the spotlight. And I want us to notice them a little bit today. There are people who are doing important things. And, and if you're in church a long time, because you've, you, if you read your Bible a lot, you might know some of them because you've read them, but, if, but maybe you don't think about them at Christmas time as much, or maybe you've never even heard about them before. And we can take several weeks and talk about different people behind the scenes to the Christmas story. But I want to talk about one couple today, just one. That's an older couple named Zechariah and Elizabeth. These are people who were not in the spotlight once the curtain opened, but they were essential to the story. We're going to begin in Luke chapter 1, and it's a long chapter. We're not going to read all of Luke 1 because it's quite long. We're going to read a lot of it, though. And we're going to begin in verse number 5, if you want to follow along in your Bibles or on the screen. Luke chapter 1, verse 5 says this. When Herod was king of Judea, in other words, when the Roman Empire was in charge, and they had placed Herod the Great to be over the region of Judea as, an answer, as a power that answered to Rome. When Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. So let's just pause here. These are two people who are serving God as, as Zechariah as a priest, and they were both in that line of their whole life. They were both children of people who were priests. In other words, they were both PKs. They were both priest kids, okay? And so, um, and they, they knew it through the generations, and now they were um, married, and now Zechariah is also a priest. They kind of stayed in the family business, so to speak, and they're just plugging away, faithful to God. Verse number six, Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, 
careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. So these are good people. These are just good, solid, salt-of-the-earth people. Lived right, lived righteously in a way that, you know, just above reproach. You look at them, if you knew them and said, these are salt-of-the-earth, good people. But, verse 7 says this, they had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive and they were both very old. Now, that's a bummer. It's a bummer for a lot of reasons that you need to understand. For one, it's a big deal because, again, and I, I say this often because I don't think we think about cultures and time periods, but, but think with me. In, in that time, women, and we, we say this so often, women just didn't have the kind of, of rights and, and, and dignity in society that they do today in, in, in certain areas. And, it's, you know, we've gotten better in the West here, but even in parts of the world today, it's still pretty bad certain places. But, it, you know, but it, it was bad back then. And everywhere back then, I mean, you know, no one voted back then, but women couldn't like, testify in court. They couldn't usually own property unless there's very special exceptions. They depended on a man to come along and pay their parents a dowry. Basically, they're like property they get in exchange. And um, they could be treated, you know, like that. And they, they depended, if they became a widow or something, or they're divorced, they could be destitute, which is one reason why God has such strict divorce laws, by the way. Always telling the men, don't put your wife away because basically she's destitute. So you can't take someone on and put them in a spot where they're unwanted and leave them destitute. You take care of your responsibilities. But anyhow, you know, women are just were in a, in a difficult spot. And, um, but so the biggest contribution to get married and then they can start a family. And it's just the way the world was. And, of course, the biggest thing they could do is have kids. And I think that's the biggest deal today. People struggle today. Many of you, maybe you've struggled with this before or still do, or you know someone who has been unable to have children. It's hard for anyone to want to have kids and not be able to. It's a, it's a grief. It's a hard, Mother's Day is a hard day when you can't have children and you want them. For any woman who wants to have children. But back then, it was extra heavy. Back then, it was extra weighty to be in that position, wasn't it? And Elizabeth never could. And Zechariah and her are married and they wanted and they're good people and they're serving the Lord and they're carrying on as they were raised to do. And, and they're trying to, but now she can't have kids and you know, you ever get to a spot in your life where you look back and you're almost tempted to say, God, I don't understand. I have been serving you, and I have been trying to live right before you, and here I'm unable to have this thing in my life that I've prayed for. Like, God, I don't understand what you're up to, because have I not, am I, am I not <laughs> can't you bless me this way? What's wrong with me? So many other people don't even care about you and, and I'm trying to do the right thing and i got to go through this trial. I've got to go through this hardship. I've got to go through this lost opportunity. I've got to have this setback in my life. Why, God? And it's so easy for us to get there and just and almost move into a space where we think, man, God, don't you, can't you do better by me? But Zechariah and Elizabeth, as we read the story in those previous verses and in the following verses, what we see is that they never stopped serving God faithfully even during their disappointment. They continued to serve while they waited. And, and as waiting turned into hopelessness, potentially, like I don't even know if this is ever going to happen, they kept serving God. They did not stop. Zechariah didn't say, you know what? I'm throwing in the towel. After all, this, isn't, what, this hasn't worked out very well. I'm done. They kept on doing what they've always been doing, the kind of people that were righteous in God's eyes. They didn't change who they were, though they may have experienced some disappointments in their faith journey. And as they're still serving, and by the way, it's so important for you and me to hear that, that, that we don't lose heart. And we don't quit along the way in life when things aren't working out the way we think they should. As we said last week, 
Just because we don't see what's happening behind the curtain doesn't mean nothing's happening behind the curtain. We can trust God. But it's important that we just trust him even when he doesn't open the curtain, that we trust him that he knows what he's doing. And Elizabeth and Zechariah served the Lord while they waited, while they waited, and never saw an answer. They kept going. Well, anyhow, let's keep reading. Verse number eight. One day, one day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. And I'm going to explain what that means, and then you're going to see it in the next few verses anyhow. But here's the setup. The, the priests would have certain people that would come into the temple. The temple's very big. At that time, you had the temple proper, but you had an expanded temple area called Herod's Temple. He named it after himself, because why not? Because Herod was the regional leader who wanted Rome to be pleased with him, and the best way to keep Rome happy is to keep the Jews happy, and one way to, you could do it through power and killing people, which he also did, but you could also try to make him happy and like you as a leader. So he built this expansive outer temple around the main temple that, and just kind of led into their religious centeredness as a nation. And this was a huge courtyard. I mean, hundreds of thousands of people could fit into Herod's temple abroad around the regular temple. I mean, hundreds of thousands could fit in there. And every feast time, people would pack in. There was commerce. There was gatherings. There was festivals. I mean, the early church even met in, in, in those courtyards. They didn't have a building of their own. And they'd been house to house and, and would gather at the temple. It was just a massive, massive place. And in the temple itself, within the courtyard, was the temple proper. And they had outer courtyards in the temple itself. And certain people could only go into certain courtyards, depending on who you were. That's another conversation for another day. But in the main, main part of the temple, you had a place where only certain people could enter. And then you ultimately had the holiest place of all. And even in the main temple, there were certain times when only the priest could go in and do certain things. It was a sacred tradition since it was set up a couple thousand years earlier. Anyhow, Zechariah as a priest would come in and he would go into the temple because one of the priests would go in and they would take turns and they would have to go in daily and burn incense at the altar of incense and basically offer prayers to God. And they're asking for national blessing, for national forgiveness, for God to guide them. And it's just a very, very important part of their culture of society. And while the priests would go in to do this, outside of the temple, the people would gather in those other courtyards and not, the, not Herod's broader courtyards, but the temple courtyards, and they would pray. So the devout people would come daily when this would happen. They would pray outside during this time while the priest would offer the incense on the inside. And now, this time, it was Zechariah's turn to go in and do the work while the people prayed. Let's read about that together, verse 9. As was the custom of the priests, he was chosen by lot, or by, by you know, random drawing, to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and to burn incense. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. That's what they did. That was their tradition. Verse 11. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Now, can we just be real for a second? Okay, now listen, I know we love to read the Bible, and some of us, it's just like also plastic and everything, so uh, we don't make it feel very real. But just for a moment, can we, can we acknowledge that that would freak us out he is in this temple. Okay, let's just, let's just call it what it is. A lot of people find churches to be fairly creepy anyhow. You know, spiritual big buildings, you know. We had the, the theater kids here all week long. Stephen, Michelle is telling me, telling me this, I think. Uh, some, a couple of kids are in here saying, oh, man, they don't go to church. I'm like, 
It's so, so creepy in here. It's a big building, you know, and it's just a spiritual place. And you think that's bad, you should go to some other kind of religions or denominations. Like, go to a Catholic church with lots of statues. I've been to several Catholic churches before uh, during off times when you walk through there and there's not anything going on, so you're kind of alone in that part of the building. And you're walking around and there's these statues. And they always feel like their, their eyes follow you, you know, wherever you walk. They're looking at me, you know. And so, you know, it's always a little scary in the spiritual place. Um, now, not so much as I've gotten older, but churches, you know, I can see that. They're in the temple. Zacharias is in there all by himself. There's no floodlights on or, you know, there are candles lit. No one else is in there except for him doing the spiritual thing of burning incense. It's quiet in there because he's the only one, and it's quiet outside because people are out there praying. And all of a sudden, while he's at the altar burning the incense, suddenly there's a, there's a something standing right next to the altar of incense. He's just, they're just right there staring at him. The first thing I would need is a fresh robe, okay? Right then, just need to go and change my robe and come back because you don't want to, I'm going I'm to burn that one, okay? He, he just, there's an angel. In fact, it says in verse number 12, Zechariah was shaken, and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. Yeah, okay, because that didn't happen every day. I know we read about it like it was a common thing. That was a shocking moment. Verse 13, but the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Too late. Don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. What prayer? My prayer burning incense? My prayer for nations of Israel to be blessed? My prayer for our people to be forgiven? What prayer are you talking about? Oh, your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son. You are to name him John. Oh, that prayer. Well, Lord, Lord, we were praying that prayer a long time ago when we were a little younger. That was a, that was a prayer we prayed. Lord, that's a kind of, you know, kind of, you know, felt like that stage of life's over. That prayer? Yeah. You have a son. And you're going to name him John. Verse 14, you will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. And he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. And all of he's saying here is a fulfillment of prophecies that were given. Remember last week, the 400 years of silence? Before the 400 years of silence in the Hebrew scriptures were still being written. God had prophesied the Messiah was coming. He was, the director was setting the stage. And he talked about when Jesus came, there would be a front runner for him preparing the way. And what God is saying in all these verses, he's, he, the angel's referring back to that prophecy and saying to Zechariah, that prophecy is your son. That's a pretty awesome moment right there. It's your son. He's going to come. And he's going to be the one discussed in Malachi. Well, let's just be, again, we read the Bible. It's also plastic. And we think everyone was just always sanctimoniously full of faith. That's a hard pill to swallow. They weren't so young anymore. They, were, they weren't like, you know, they, they were a little older. Like Zechariah was, you know, and th th those years had passed. Some news is shocking to hear. I mean, let's just be real. Some of us heard we're having a baby today. Okay, now I'll pick on ourselves since I've gotten a little older and Michelle and I are, are um, not as young as we once were. 
If someone came to us today and said, you're having a baby. An angel would have to tell us that. And I still have a lot of questions, like why? And why? <laughs> and uh, so, I mean, Paul and Cricket, imagine that news coming your way. Congratulations, you're going to have a baby. Like, let's talk about this. So it's, it's a little bit, it's a little bit shocking. Shocking. And so before we throw Zechariah under the bus for his lack of faith, come on now. Okay. But verse 18, Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure? How can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. I'm going to pause here and give you husbands in the room some help. Husbands, pay attention to the verse on the screen. This is a life hack for you in marriage. This was a wise thing. He said, I'm an old man now, and my wife is it's also well along in years. You know, she's not an old lady. I'm an old man now, and my wife is 29 once again. You know what I'm saying? Nice try, Steve. But anyhow, he's, he's like, I'm just going to own it. I'm an old man. She's well along in years. He's just basically saying to the angel, this can't happen. How can this happen? And I love verse 19. Then the angel said, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. In other words, Gabriel's like, dude, I understand your shock, but I want you to think about something. First of all, some might want to appear next to your incense altar. That should give you a clue that something special is at work here. Second of all, I'm not just any old person here. I'm from the very presence of God. I'm Gabriel. And it was his message. I'm bringing you his direct message. He sent me to bring you this news. But, verse 20, but now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. So the angel said, okay, if apparently a, a mysterious angel appearing next to your incense altar in the middle of this ritual wasn't enough to convince you that you need more of a sign of clarity, here's your sign. You're not going to be able to speak until the baby's born. And that's just going to kind of put an extra exclamation point that this is special. Because we need everyone to know this is special, that God is fulfilling prophecies from ancient times that are coming true in the world right now, and this is the time to start paying attention to the cues and to the signals. So here's the extra sign. You're going to not be able to speak for the next nine months. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. Well, anyhow, let's keep going with the story. Verse 21 says, Meanwhile, meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out of the sanctuary, wondering why he was taken so long. This makes me laugh. They're all sitting out there saying, is he ever going to, is the preacher going to stop preaching at some point? Because the line at Cracker Barrel is not getting any shorter by the passing moment. The other churches are going to get out before we get out. They're going to beat us in line. We're going to have to wait to get food. Is this almost over? They're like sitting out there praying, saying, okay, okay, we out here, we're doing our religious thing. We're praying. He's burning the incense. Is he not done yet? Is this guy long-winded or long-burning or whatever he's doing? We want to go. Why is he taking so long? When he finally did come out, he couldn't speak to them. Then they realized from his gestures and his silence that he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary. He's like, well, there you are. Where have you been, Zechariah? Well, I can't hear you. What, you can't speak? And he's making charades? Uh, I don't know, walrus? What is that? What are you trying to say? And as he's talking to them, they realize, oh my goodness, something big must have happened. He must have saw a vision. And this is impactful because that didn't happen every day. That didn't happen any day. But It happened. That day. Verse 23. 
When Zechariah's week of service in the temple was over, he returned home. Can we just admire him for a minute here? Remember I told you earlier, he's just the, these are, this is, this is faithful people laboring. They're, they're not going to be the star of the show down the road. We only know about them because they're in this chapter. Some of you never maybe heard about them before. Who knows? They are just, he's just serving along the Lord all these years, disappointments, unanswered prayers, serving God, his wife, they're just going at it. And now he has this vision and he can't talk anymore. And he finishes his week of service before he goes home. I don't know. If there's ever a time where you could say to the people, um, may I be excused? I've been turned into a llama. Can I be excused? Please? I mean, you know, I don't know. I just saw a vision. I can't speak anymore. Can I please be done now? Like, oh, absolutely. I mean, extenuating circumstances, you go home. But Zechariah didn't go home. He finished his duty that week. Unable to speak. Trauma. Shocking news. This changes everything. I need some days off to process this. Nope. Just kept doing exactly what he was supposed to do like he always did before. When his week of services was over, he returned home. Verse 24. Soon afterward, his wife, Elizabeth, became pregnant and went into seclusion for five months. So he goes home. She gets pregnant. Let's just move on. And she goes into seclusion for five months. For five months, she's like, I'm on bed rest. I'm going to not, I'm canceling the women's auxiliary next week. I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying home because this is a miracle and I shouldn't, is this a, even a safe pregnancy? I'm staying home for five months. Just no one's going to see me. And here's what she said in verse 25. How kind the Lord is. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. Again, Anyone might feel that way potentially depending on their wiring, but especially in that time, especially in that situation. She says, I feel like God has heard me and noticed me. Well, verse 26 is a meanwhile. Meanwhile, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel, same angel, to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. Now, we're not going to spend any time here because that's a future message in the series because that's the cast right there. So we're going to move on from Mary for a few minutes. But the angel basically comes to Mary and says, you're going to have a baby. And she's like, I'm a virgin. And that was a big deal, too, because she has a husband to be, not yet. And again, with culture, her virginity was a very big deal, to, And she's a young woman, and you know, he's, he's going to provide for her. And now she's going to have a baby, and she's not been with anybody. And so as she's processing this visit, we'll discuss it more later, different week. As she's thinking this through, um, she's got to figure out what to do next. So after the angel visits Mary... It says in verse 39, or let's get down to verse 39. Verse 39, a few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea. When? Just a few days later. She did not stay in Nazareth. I, I th think as I study the story, she didn't probably talk to Joseph yet. She's like, I gotta think this thing through. I mean, what's happening? I mean, how do I explain to him? She's not showing yet. I mean, she's just got the news a few days ago that she's gonna have a baby. So she leaves for a few months. She'll come back with a baby bump, but she's gonna leave for a few months. And she'll talk to Joseph later. She'll talk to him when she gets back, right? She'll figure it out. The town's going to have some questions when she gets home. Mom and dad. So she just goes for a few days later. She just goes off to, to because Elizabeth and Zechariah were her family. They were related to each other. So she goes over to visit her relatives and get away from town for a little while while she processes this shocking news. And I know we're all like, well, she was glad. She was glad. But, but don't, just can't give her a break for a minute, okay? That's a shocking piece of news. W would Joseph stay with her? surprise sneak peek ahead of time, he almost, he almost didn't. It's how you lose your engagement right there. 
I mean, there's a lot going on here. I mean, she's, she's a human. She's full of wonder and confusion and uncertainty. Was this going to change my whole life? And I was, so she leaves town and goes to Zechariah and Elizabeth's house for a few months. And I love the story. It says here that she went to the town where they lived and she entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, you moms know what it's like when that baby's inside of you. I can't relate to this. I've never had yet carried one myself. But when the baby's inside of you and the baby is, is active, you're like, oh, man, the baby's moving. Maybe you'll call your husband over, put your hand right here, feel the kick. And I've, I felt the kick with my hand. That's as close as I've gotten to that sensation. You know, baby's really active right now. Should drink less Mountain Dew? I don't know. And so something's something going on. So Elizabeth, Mary walks in the house and calls out her name, and, and she, the baby just comes leaps. And, and remember that God said that, that, that John would be filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb? Now Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. And she begins to speak from fullness of the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a glad cry, and she exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women, and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. You are blessed because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. Now, I don't know this for sure, but I'd bet next week. I bet your next week's paycheck on this, I'm pretty sure. There's very likely, likely almost certainty that Elizabeth has no idea what's going on with Mary yet. Like Mary isn't told, probably didn't tell Joseph yet at this point, from what I can tell. She's going away for a few months to figure this out. She runs off to Elizabeth's house. She didn't look, she didn't FaceTime her before she got there. She didn't Snapchat her before she got there. She didn't sit there and say, hey, guess what? You're going to believe this girl? She didn't do any of that. She just, can I come visit? She heads out there. And when she walks into the house, full of the uncertainty and doubt of a young woman whose life was just tossed a major curveball from God, is this good? But how's it going to work out? I got lots of questions. Is it really, is it real? She walks in and Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, is able to look over and say, all these words that we just read, you're carrying my Lord. Well, how'd she, what, what, how'd she know that? You are blessed because you believe that God would do what he'd said. God's hand is on the situation. Don't, can you just for a moment appreciate how absolutely reassuring and life-giving this was for Elizabeth to say to, to Mary? In fact, there is no record of Mary actually praising God prior to this moment. You hear her saying, all she says before this moment was, Whatever the Lord says, I accept it. That was about it. But after Elizabeth talks to her, Mary goes into this long song of praise to God because she's sorting it out. And she walks in and just like, I gotta talk to her, I gotta see, I gotta get away, I gotta see Elizabeth. And then she says all these words and she speaks life into her. She says, God is doing this. And, and, and it was so clear, it was so spirit-led that Mary's just like, whew. And God uses Elizabeth to encourage a young Mary who's gonna be a pretty important person in the story. Verse 56, we'll skip down to verse 56. We'll come back to the other ones next week. Verse 56, Mary stayed with Elizabeth about three months 
and then went back to her own home. Why three months? Because when she got there, Elizabeth was, we saw earlier, six months pregnant. She stays till the baby's due. She gets out of there so that Elizabeth can have her house to herself when it's time to give birth. When it was time for Elizabeth's baby to be born, she gave birth to a son. And when her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had been very merciful to her, everyone rejoiced with her. So this is the big moment. Back to Zechariah and Elizabeth. They're not going to be there when the curtain opens on Christmas morning. But if, if you read the chapter, they're, they're important in the story. Zechariah just working behind it, just doing his job faithfully all these years, serving in the temple, serving, burning the incense, doing his thing. Elizabeth over here waiting on God, encouraging young Mary. And now they have their baby who's going to be an important part of the story. Verse number 59 says, When the baby was eight days old, they all came for the circumcision ceremony. Circumcision was a process they did. You know what circumcision is. I'm not going to get into the details. But that was something that started with Moses a couple thousand years earlier. And they, they did it faithfully as a, as a culture. And you know, a lot of Christians do to this day too, just for, for, for similar reasons. But they were going to do circumcision eight days after the baby was born. And they brought him in, and they wanted to name him Zechariah. They're like, okay, bring on little Zechariah Jr. Bring him on in here. We're going to name him and do the little ceremony. But Elizabeth said, no, his name is John. Like, John? What kind of a weird name is that? Well, Zechariah Jr. or something normal, like Arlen or something normal. I mean, why Zachari- Why John? What kind of goofy name? So they said, verse 61, what? There is no one in your family with that name. So they, they used gestures to ask the baby's father what he wanted to name him. He motioned for a writing tablet, and to everyone's surprise, he wrote, his name is John. Instantly, Zechariah could speak again, and he began praising God. And by the way, as you'll see in the next couple of verses, we won't read all of them, when he began praising God and he didn't shut up for a while. But don't blame him, God couldn't talk for a while. The last words he said was to a suddenly appearing angel next to the incense altar saying, how can this possibly be? That's the last thing he said. And then he finishes his week of service, goes home to his wife, she gets pregnant. So I don't know, this eight days after the baby was born, it's like 10 months later, he hasn't said a word. So all of a sudden he's able to speak again and he's just like, I'm gonna talk now. And he begins to praise God. And verse 65, awe fell upon the whole neighborhood And the news of what had happened spread throughout the Judean hills. I'll bet it did. Again, because it was shocking. It was the first of many moments where God's saying, pay attention. Hey, pay attention, everybody. I'm starting to do what I've been saying I was going to do for a long time. Now pay attention. And the word is spreading and people are shocked because these are miraculous moments to get the world's attention. Because as we said earlier last week, at the right time, when God said his time was right, his son came. He's getting everyone's attention. Everyone who heard about it, they reflected on these events and they asked, what will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was surely upon him in a special way. And he was, by the way. I want you to think about this just for a moment. It's not maybe essential to the story, but I want you to think about this. This would be a special child. He would be more a part of the cast of the story of Jesus than his parents ever were as far as once the curtain opens at Bethlehem, you never see Zachariah and Elizabeth after that. From the time of the manger scene until on Jesus' life. Zachariah and Elizabeth probably died when John, their son, was pretty young. They were old. By all indications, he was, we went off living in the, in the wilderness at a young age, probably parentless. Starts his ministry, you know, locusts and wild honey and, you know, 
He's just making life work, and he's just a very unique guy. His parents were long gone before the greatest story ever told was really unfolding. But they had this moment, this special moment. And in this time, Zechariah is going to prophesy. Hello, verse 67. Then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and gave this prophecy. We're not going to read the whole prophecy, but Zechariah is just going to speak again like his wife did when Mary walked in the room. He's just going to speak some God's blessing over their nation, God's blessing over the, his master plan. And then he's going to change his prophecy into speaking blessing over his son. Dads and moms, you can understand this, can't you? He's going to speak blessing over his son. God gave us a son. He's just going to speak into the situation. In verse 76, we pick up that part of the story. Zechariah says in verse 76, And you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High, because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. And he's just doing what a parent hopefully does, just speaking life over their child, speaking life and saying, God's got plans for you and something special is going on. I'm just going to declare it today. And then we stop for today because we've got to continue with the cast and other people next couple weeks before we get to Christmas Day. Here's what I want to say. The story of Christmas is not the same without Zechariah and Elizabeth. It's not. Even their son continues their family tradition of serving. And he's in the story a little bit. He's not a major, major character. He is a guy that's moments, but he's, he's dead and gone halfway through the Jesus story. But they never were. If you were a church person a long time, you may hear the story. Perhaps you hear it around Christmas time because we're trying to find things to say during December for Christmas. Or perhaps you've just read your Bible enough times to know the story. But for some of us today, that's the first time you've ever heard of Zechariah and Elizabeth, right? Like, whoa, who are they? They're not there when the curtain opens. No one's got, you know, manger scenes at Christmas time with, you know, Jesus and Mary and Joseph and, you know, over here's a little statue of Zechariah and Elizabeth. They're just not there. Right? They just, they're just overlooked. They're gone. And what I want to say to you is this. You may, not, you may not have known who they were. You may not have known them, but God does. And God did. And he chose to share their story before the curtain opens. Because, because what goes on behind the scenes is just as important as what happens on stage. It's easy for us to think of some things as more important than others, depending on how we see ourselves or the world around us. It could be true at your job. It could be true in your community. It could be true in the things you're involved in. It could be true in your church. Church is just one part of your, of your life. If, if I could use church as an illustration to what I'm trying to say right now, let me use church. Because we all share that we're here today, watching online or in person. In church itself, there's things that happen on stage. And everyone knows who's on stage. The pastor, and it's some ominous, who's the pastor? Like, okay. But, you know, because he's the guy up, up there, and then, you know, there's the pastor. There's the worship leaders. There's the worship team members. You know them. I see them. I see you on stage. The announcement givers. But you know that 
And, and it's important. What happens on stage, the worship team, the preaching, all that stuff, it would, we wouldn't have church without it. What happens on stage is important to the Sunday service. It's just one picture of life. Apply this elsewhere. But on Sunday mornings, it's not just what happens on stage. But what happens off stage that makes it all possible. Because what no one sees is the person who came into the church that we can clean the building. Empty all the trash cans out, make sure the toilets were working and everything was cleaned and ready. No one saw the kids, the person working with the nursery, screaming kids so that they can sit there and come out with their hair frazzled and wanting to get a stiff drink while the pastor gets the, good sermon, pastor. And they're like, oh, man. No one sees the, you know, Eric this last week putting up signage out front or the, 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 the tools to put signs through when they get here out front. And um, people setting up stage all week last week and fixing lights and hanging this. And no one sees the audio video team upstairs on like all four of you up there right now on uh, Sunday morning. No one notices you unless something messes up, right? Then they notice you. Um, there's a whole lot in the greeting and other parts of the church that make everything possible. And did you know that that's as important to make the Sunday morning happen as what we do up on stage? Now, we get noticed for it because we're on, we're on stage. But it's, what we do is important to make it work. What happens elsewhere is important. It all matters. Just some get more recognized. And in your life, and whether it's your job or your career or your future, your, your, your existence, you see people who they're always in the spotlight. They always seem to be noticed. Everyone in culture seems to rework. But here's the thing. What goes on behind the scenes is just as important as what happens on stage. I love how Paul writes about it in 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15 is the end of a, it's a very long chapter at the end of a very long book to the people at Corinth. And Paul's talking about the Christmas story in a way. The, the greatest story ever told, that Jesus died and was buried and rose again for our sins. And because Jesus did that, we will all resurrect one day and have eternal life through Jesus Christ. He's talking about the resurrection. At the very end of that long chapter, here's what Paul says at the end, verse 58. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. And I know it's easy sometimes to think it's unnoticed, it's unappreciated, did it even matter, did it have any value, was it useless? But Paul says it never is. It never is. And I'll leave you with a statement, and then I'm going to talk about it, and then we'll go home. But simply, every week, we're, every week we're giving you some statement about the director, because God's the director. For today, here's what I want you to take home with you. The director sees what you do, even when no one else does. And maybe you feel unappreciated, and I understand. Maybe you feel unnoticed. Maybe you feel like, I never get recognized for my contribution because I kind of contribute. Maybe you don't want to be recognized in some ways. You're like, I don't know, man. I, I, I want to be in the crew for a reason because I don't want to be on stage. All. But, but then you wonder, does anyone recognize it? Does God? He sure does. And that's what matters. And let me just pivot just for a quick moment and say this to those people who are on stage. Maybe you are a person who, you, you lead a small group. You lead a ministry within the church. You work on the worship team or greeting team. You have some visibility in, in the kind of job you do. It's not more important, but it's a visible job. But you can also feel unappreciated. Sometimes you say, I feel like, you know, you know, it's overlooked or unknown too sometimes, right? And that could be in your life, your job, or anything else as well. Just because you're on the stage doesn't mean you don't sometimes wonder if anyone notices either. And, I, and I'm, not gonna, I'm just going to relate this to you just for a quick moment here. I understand I'm a pastor, so I, I kind of live a church life that's kind of visible. But I know what it's like. I mean, we all do, to, to feel disconnected. No one ever leaves a church and 
um, is still buddies with the pastor afterwards. No matter what the reason is, they could all be friends with each other for 10,000 reasons that are unrelated to each other, but you kind of always feel like the odd guy out. I've lived in the spotlight of being praised and criticized many times throughout my life. And there's easy times for me as well as anybody else to say, why? You know, it's just a, you know, who's next? Who's going to hate me in two more years? You know, it just, it's just how it goes. I mean, we all can feel that. So I'm not saying that for me because I don't matter. I'm saying for you, even if you're on the stage, I get it. You can wonder if anyone else really appreciates or notices what you do. If you're working behind the scenes, you definitely wonder if anyone notices what you do. But they do. And what really matters anyhow? What really matters anyhow? There was a season of our lives as a family a handful of years back where Michelle and I were seriously thinking we might be done with, with ministry. We just, we were happy as a couple, but just a lot had happened around us. And we were just like, I don't know, you know, what's God, have, is he, what's he up to? Has he got some direction for us? We were just talking about it, praying about it. And during that time, there was a song. I can't remember who the singer was. Maybe Michelle, you can remind me. Um, a guy singer, he sang a, he sang a, a lot of good music. But he did a song with Amy Grant um, called Find Me Faithful. Remember who that was now. But we, we, we clinged to it. In the song, the, there's a line that says, Lord, you don't need to find me on a stage. Just find me faithful. And we just grabbed that. That was our prayer for a season. God, you don't need to find us on a stage. Just find us faithful. That's all we need. And, and then God had saw otherwise. God kept opening doors, and while we served while we were waiting, he opened doors, and things are better than ever. It's been great, right? But I think that, that I realized something a long time ago that's important to me, and this is good for you whether you're visible or you feel invisible, that it doesn't matter who criticizes or praises you, who notices you or doesn't notice you, you know what really matters to me? And this gets me emotional. This gets me emotional. All that really matters to me is not what anyone else ever thinks or thought or does think. What matters to me is that someday I stand before God and I get to hear him say to me, well done, my good and faithful servant. I'm well pleased. You can take all the rest of it and you can take all the rest of it and it doesn't matter. That's what matters that the director notices. Because man's opinion's fickle. My opinion's fickle. Your opinion's fickle. They are. But, 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 but if God says, well done, I noticed. I'm well pleased. That is all I need. That's all you need, right? Hopefully. Today I want to say this to you. If you feel like anyone doesn't notice, you're noticed. If you feel like anyone doesn't care, you're cared for. And your God, your director, the director of his greatest show and your life, your story. He sees what you do even when no one else does. And I hope that somewhere along the way that gives you the strength to carry on because it's not useless, it's not unnoticed, it's not in vain.